This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Conduit. So good to see you. Uh, service number two, 11 o'clock. I know I'm going to get a lot more amens and a lot more energy in here. See? Especially since I have all these circle people up here, they're going to scream. I've already trained them how to do it. Good morning online. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors at this church, and it is a privilege to be one of the pastors at Conduit Church. And I actually get the privilege of leading mission here. So I'm the mission pastor at the church. And uh, yeah, good to see you this morning. Mo, thanks for the great update. Uh, 876,000 left. I mean, think about 65,000 bucks a month going to the mission field. That's crazy. That gets me excited. That gets me excited. But I want to tell you a, a story. I grew up in a small town. And when I say small town, how many of you small town people? Okay, shout out. So in my small town, maybe like 1,800 people, right? I graduated with like 60. That's a pretty small town. And in this small town, I had a friend with a really creepy house. Like really creepy. Like my house was pretty creepy. Like lots of things made noises and beds moved and all that. But this was like blurry creatures creepy, okay? When we were in this house, things would happen like the TV would turn on and off. And, uh, and they swore to me, they swore to me that at night when they were sleeping, little tiny leprechauns would run around the house. And I don't know if I believe that or not. I'm not going to I can't say it's definitely not true, but I'm, I'm not really sold. And in this house, we were hanging out one day. I spent a lot of time there. My friend's parents were like my parents. So we're hanging out. We're bored, Right. You remember when, uh, before electronics, when you could just be bored? Remember any of y'all like millennials, Gen X, where you guys at? We used to actually have to figure out what to do. They're like, you know what I'm saying? Like we had to figure out what to do. And so in this day, she, she had this idea. She said, hey, do you want to see my bunker? Now I've seen that movie too, right? And I know we shouldn't be watching those movies and I don't, okay? But you know, in those movies you shouldn't be watching, when they say, do you want to see my bunker? That's when you run. That's, that's when you get out of there. You don't say what 14-year-old me said, which was absolutely I do. So we walk into the bedroom and in the bedroom, we walk towards the closet and in the closet is a piece of carpet, look like a ugly, nasty shag carpet. And she proceeds to pull back this shag carpet and underneath of it is a piece of wood. Not the subfloor, a piece of wood that was clearly covering a bunker. And when you slide it out of the way, that's exactly what was there. Now, 35-year-old me that stands here today knows you put that piece of wood back, you put the carpet back, you pray to Jesus and cast out those spirits and run, right? I know that now, but again, 14-year-old me, and we've clearly defined in this church that 14-year-olds don't have the full brain yet, okay? That's just the way it works, okay? So what I'm saying in an apolitical fashion is 14-year-olds can't make good decisions. And so, 
Come on. So 14-year-old me said, I'm getting in the hole, right? I don't, know, I don't know why that was my thought, but 14-year-old me is getting in the hole, and that's what 14-year-old me did. I got in the hole, and when I got down there, thankfully, there was zero leprechauns, um, but it felt dark, it felt heavy, and it felt like, you know, I needed to get out of there, and what I would go on to find out is that I was actually standing or crawling inside of the Underground Railroad. You see, the small town that I'm from is called Williamsburg, Ohio, and you can see a map here, and those two intersecting lines that go to Williamsburg that's circled, that's the Underground Railroad. It's called the Freedom Trail. It ran right through my small town. And growing up, we knew several different avenues to get in there, like sewer grates, and there was different ways you could crawl in. And so even in my town cemetery is buried a man named Mr. Huber. And he's got family in the area still. And Mr. Huber was actually a conductor on the Underground Railroad. So it ran right through my town. And it was in that same small town. I graduated high school. And it was in that same small town, Sammy and I would buy our first house. And that first house was a dump. That's what our budget allowed for. But this dump sat on five acres and we had never owned a house or land. And actually to that point, we really had never owned anything. So I get into this house and how many, this is off topic, but how many of my friends, let's say from the West, um, had this dream of a mini farm and realized that it's way more work than you thought? Come on, there's like three honest people in here. No, it's been... Goats are so lovely and it's been so fun. I know it's way more work than you want it to be. And that's what, that was reality for us was every second of free time that we have was not free. We were busy. We were cutting down trees. We were ripping up old muddy pool liners and putting in new ones. And, and literally there was never ending work to do. Never ending. We just worked all summer. And one memory comes to mind. It was the summer of 2019. And we were doing what we always do, 10-hour day outdoors. Phones are inside. We didn't even eat lunch. We probably didn't even eat breakfast. We just woke up early in the morning, went outside and started working. And we came in after a 10-hour day. And I picked up my phone and I looked at Facebook. And when I scrolled to Facebook, I found a post from a friend named Victoria Bowling from Oklahoma. And I didn't know Victoria, but her husband was from the same small town. Mark was from Williamsburg as well. And in this post, for the first time, I met Mike and Faith. Here's Mike and Faith. Mike and Faith, Victoria would go on to tell their story. Faith broke her arm. And I'm reading this story and I'm reading about how she broke her arm and couldn't get medical care. She couldn't get help. She needed help, but could could not get it fixed. And the doctors were like, well, too bad. And that's just what they do in this country, in Asia. If you don't have money to pay the hospital, there's no such thing as taxpayers, right? No one's picking up the bill. You're just gonna deal with a broken arm. And so there is one option, and that's the option faith took. And it's probably the option that each one of us would have taken, which is I bar- they borrowed money from a brick kiln owner. 
And brick kiln owners, they sit ready like predators, ready to lend out this little bit of money so that they can trap people. Kind of like student loan providers. Where's my Dave Ramsey peeps? Okay. Just like student loan providers, little creepy predators. And they wait to prey on people who are poor and needy. And that's what happened for them. And by the time that I read this post, they had been in slavery for 11 years. And not just Faith with the broken arm, her husband, Mike, and not just them, but their children. And I can't explain to you how powerful that moment was for me. That day changed my life forever because when I read the story, the Holy Spirit made it clear to me that one of the reasons I'm on earth is to fight this, right? It was that day where it was like, there's no option but action. There's nothing, I have to do something. This is for me. And so I didn't really know what to do. At this time, we had a small nonprofit and we're literally like happy to raise 20 bucks, right? Like somebody gave 20 bucks, we were having a a praise party. And so I jump in the shower, I get out of the shower, push my hair over real fast and I jump on Facebook Live. It's the only thing I knew how to do. I had to tell other people. So I make a Facebook Live video and we start seeing some donations come in. And it was like, by the end of the first day, we were at like 500 bucks. That had never happened before. I go to sleep that night and I wake up the next morning and all $2,000 was there to pay off their debt. We wired that money, we sent it to Market Victoria, they sent it to their teams on the ground in Asia and that family was set free and that started this ministry. And this is actually them now So you can see how happy they are. And there's also a photo of us with family number one, Mark and Victoria on the left and then myself on the right with family number one. And that's how Operation Freedom started. Mike went from a slave to to selling vegetables. And then actually he was so good at selling vegetables, we got him a rickshaw and now he owns a rickshaw business and they do really well and they're healthy and they're happy. That's where Operation Freedom started. And then we would go on from there to bootstrap dozens of families in 2019. We went from one to the next. It was so fun. The other day I went back in the messages just to look at every one of these families and we were just pulling together a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks here. And we got so many out. But in 2020, everything changed again because in 2020, a legend from the remote cornfields of Nebraska found out about this ministry named Darren Tyler. (laughs) And it was right in the middle of when we were trusting the experts. You remember those days? And they were like, hey, don't, don't come into this room and worship. And they were saying, close down your churches and all this. And and that's when Darren was, was, and Mo, they were finalizing the essential church model and the essential church series. And, and one of the ideas that came out of that was we're not actually saving lives by not gathering, we're exchanging them. And the way they could say that was because this church became a church of abolitionists. This church started freeing two and a half families every week that they gathered. And so now I'm seeing the numbers stack up, right? And every time I see it, it's like Darren Tyler, Shannon Tyler, Conduit Church, Conduit Church, Conduit Church, Conduit Church, 10 families a month, gasoline met fire. 
And then in 2021, some would argue that gasoline met fire again because I was on my way back from Florida and had lunch with Darren. And it was in that moment, God made it clear, hey, this is a one plus one equals three or more moment. Pack up everything that you've built, everything that you do, your business, all of that, and move to serve as mission pastor at Conduit Church. Took us four months to finish our house that we worked four years on. We spent all of our lives for four years making every detail perfect. Every, the bathroom was perfect. Everything was perfect. We made it to our liking. And the second that we finished it, we sold it to move here. And we bought a, we bought a house sight unseen in Spring Hill. We became Spring Hillionaires. <laughs> and that's how it all started. It started with Mike and Faith. It started with us going... This is a clear call to action. We're supposed to set slaves free. And since I've been telling these stories for the last, what, three and a half years, people have asked me over and over and over again, whoa, 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 whoa. Slaves? How does that even work? And I'm so happy that you asked me because Caleb Baldry and I, Caleb, where you at? There you are. Put your hand up. There you go. That's Caleb Baldry. Caleb Baldry and I, We traveled back to Asia this year to answer just that question. Check it out. Jesus said he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach deliverance to the oppressed and to set free the captives. Think about it. He paid a debt off for us that we could have never paid off. What happens here is amazing. For 16 hours a day, families make bricks. They've fallen into hard times and whatever it is, it could be pregnancy, some sort of sickness, a hospital visit, they have to borrow money so that they can pay those bills. And their exchanges, they come make bricks until it's paid off. The problem is that they never pay it off. The debt just grows and grows and grows. No amount of hard work, diligence, or effort is gonna pay this debt off. This debt can never be paid off by work alone. They need intervention. They need someone to help. And I can tell you what happens if no one helps. Nothing changes. But let me tell you what happens if we do help. Children go from slaves to students. Parents, they go from from bondage to business owners. And we, we get to be more like our Messiah. I was talking to my friend and he told me that they don't even have a word for hope here. But it turns out that the word for hope here is Jesus. Khudavant ka roop mujh par hai. Isliye ki usne mujhe gareebon ko khushkhabri dene ke liye massa kiya hai. Usne mujhe bheja hai ki qaidiyon ko rehai aur andho ko binai paane ki khabar sunau. No one should be a slave. Should be the easiest amen of your life. No one should be a slave. Absolutely no one. And every single person that is a slave is crying 
and praying and their tears and their blood hit the soil. And I promise you that their prayers hit the ears of their father in heaven. He hears every single one of them. I'll ask you this as a parent, that if you saw someone abusing, oppressing, hurting your child, and someone on your team was right next to them, someone that was supposed to care for you, someone was supposed to take care of you, someone you thought you could trust, and they did absolutely nothing, how would you feel towards that person? You'd feel betrayed. You'd feel hurt. It'd be, it'd be very difficult to forgive, right? These are God's children. And he's watching us, right? He's paying attention to us, the ones that are here to be his hands and his feet, to see what we do about it. Enemies of God would argue that the Old Testament permitted slavery. They would argue that God is pro-slavery because he ordained it. They might grab a verse or two from the Old Testament and use it out of context like slave owners did in America. But they can only do that if they have no context for language, for culture, for ancient civilization, or for the Bible. You have to reject all four of those to come up with that. To claim that the Bible is pro-slavery, is pro, is pro that's a categorically false claim. It's just not true. It's just not. No matter how progressive someone wants to get with their interpretation of scripture, culturally and linguistically, it's not true. And it can never be true. The only way you could believe that is if you twist scripture, if you know nothing about the Bible. And I wanna prove it to you. Let's look at Proverbs 14, 31. It says, one who oppresses the poor taunts. Everybody say taunts. Taunts his maker, but one who is gracious to the needy honors him. Now that word taunt means so much more than taunts. It actually means blasphemes. It actually means defy. It means to reproach. It means that you've looked at your maker and you have, you have in his face done the opposite of his, of his character. It's when you oppress the poor, you're actually doing the opposite of what God does to the poor. You're blaspheming his very nature. But slavery in the ancient world did not encompass this at all. It is not what comes to mind when I say slavery this morning. It's not what you're thinking. Slavery in the ancient world, the Greco-Roman world was often a contract. It was often um, for it was often for a time period and it was to pay off debt and it was not perpetual and it was not trans, it did not transcend generations, right? So children didn't inherit that debt. Often children in the, in the guise of slavery that we're, we're talking about would be educated and they would have a free childhood. That's the slavery you should think of in the Old Testament. And it makes Proverbs 22, seven literally true the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And all my Dave Ramsey people fail me right now. Every one of y'all, this was your moment in history. You had it. Like this was your moment. Don't worry, the, first, the nine o'clock service, the Dave Ramsey peeps, they, they missed the mark on that one too. It was your, that's your scripture. And this is true today, isn't it? 
I'll show you how it's true. If I get in more debt, what do I have to do more of? Work. So maybe it looks a little different. Maybe it's progressed a bit, but the idea is the same. Your contract with your employer, they pay you money. If you work more hours, depending on how you're set up, they pay you more money. When you get more debt, you have more problems. You have to pay it off. So you give more of your time. You don't have to go live at their house. So it it has progressed a bit, but it's the same idea. It's the same idea. And I want you to see the language of the law. This is God's heart in Exodus. Take a look at this. Now one who kidnaps. Now you could say that word is traffics. Put it in that context. This is the word, let's say it's traffics. One who kidnaps or traffics someone whether he sells him or he is found in possession, shall certainly be put to death. That is the heart of God surrounding slavery. So no one can ever say that the Old Testament was pro-slavery. This was God's law about slavery. In fact, God's law gave the year of Jubilee and it gave, it gave ordinance around the forgiveness of debts. It was built into his law that that at some point you'd be forgiven. So quite the opposite true. And and I want to focus in on one thing and one thing only. When you're talking about these things, the difference here, the key is oppression. That's the key. God hates slavery because he hates oppression. He hates when the poor are oppressed. That's why he sent Moses to rescue Israel from slavery. And that slavery was oppressive. And I want to make some claims here that may make you uncomfortable. They might challenge what you were taught at university or whatever college campus that you attended or wherever you came from. I would invite you to fact check me. If I post this on Instagram, it would put a red label at the bottom. But I just want to play a little game called Did You Know? Okay, so bear with me. Did you know that between the 16th and the 18th century that millions of Europeans were trafficked and enslaved in North Africa? Did you know that? We never talk about it. Millions of them. Do you know the word slave? You know where it comes from, the etymology? Slavic, Eastern European. That's where the English word slave comes from because the Eastern European Slavics were enslaved. That's where it comes from, the very word. Majority of slaveholders were Arabian nations, Middle East. Majority, more were held there than anywhere in the world. There were about 12.5 million slaves that were trafficked out of sub-Saharan Africa. About 12.5 million. About one, a little over one million of them died atrocious deaths in the belly of ships. They didn't even make it anywhere. It was, it, it's disgusting, it's inhumane. 
They started take, they, t- they took them to nations like Haiti first. They went to Haiti first and then the Dominican Republic and then Jamaica. And then they went across to Central America, Honduras and Guatemala. And then eventually some of them ended up in America in the 13 colonies. Do you know how many ended up here? 5%. 5% ended up here, about 600,000 sub-Saharan African slaves And there's a study out of Ohio State that said about 300,000 European slaves ended up here as well. And my point here is that when you get into this conversation, it gets twisted because no one wants to deal with the truth. And my, my belief here is this, that God hates all slavery. God hates all oppression. And I believe that it's happened to every ethnos, every people group, It's a human condition. It's a Romans one problem. It's a human condition problem and not a cultural problem. It's plagued Israel. It's plagued Europe. It's plagued every, it's Africa, of course. It's now plaguing the world still. This is the truth. And here's why I say that. There's a real reason for it. And caveat, I think this country needs to repent for slavery. I think this country needs to repent for what they did to First Nations people. I think this country needs to repent for the babies that have lost their lives here. I believe we have plenty of blood to repent for in our country, and we should do that. But I do believe, I'm convinced of this, that the strategy of the enemy is this. If he can keep us arguing, he can keep us from acting. I believe that. Because he th- in the confusing middle, he can bend you and twist you into not knowing what to do and so then you do nothing. If you hate slavery, you should be freeing slaves. Is that, is that controversial today? If you hate slavery, you should probably spend your life freeing slaves. And if you don't free slaves, then you don't hate slavery. I know, I really had to twist, I had to work my mind through that one. It was really tough. Here's another way that I wrote it that I can't memorize. If slavery remains in the social justice conversation, it stops us from accomplishing biblical justice. Social justice is not social and it's not justice. It's a counterfeit. Biblical justice actually proclaims freedom to the captives and it actually sets free the oppressed. Biblical justice says, listen, we can identify that slavery against any people group was atrocious. It's horrific. I've read Harriet Jacobs books. I've read uh, slave stealers. Like I've read the, his, the firsthand accounts of what it was like for like Harriet Jacobs to live in an addict and wa- as a slave in North Carolina and watch her children grow up through a crack in an asbestos covered attic. It's, in, it's tattooed on my heart. It's atrocious. No matter who it was done to, it's atrocious today. And bi- biblical justice reinforces that. It reinforces the fact that it's evil and that we have to do something about it. We can't just say it's evil. Lip service is what culture gives us right now. They talk, 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 talk. Nobody does anything. They just talk, 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 talk. 
I'd rather be caught doing the work. Amen. I'd rather die in the mission field than just talk. Just would, that's just what I'd rather do. I'm not going to talk. Biblical justice acts because you know why? It's the Bible in Genesis that says we're made in the image of God that gives us the imago Dei. It's the Bible that created the, the, the line that said every single person is exactly the same value, that we're all created equal in the image of God. It's the Bible that puts, so you can't say the Bible also tears down the value of a person. It's God who determines the value of a person because he sent his son to purchase for us our freedom. It's because our value is not determined at a slave auction site, but on a wooden cross where the son of God would pay for our sins. That's how valuable we are. That's what makes the declaration that we're all worth the exact same amount. It's all within the scripture. It's all there. Here's how Paul wrote it in Galatians. He said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And here's my point. My point this morning is not to mitigate atrocities committed on our soil. I don't answer for this country. I'm from a different kingdom. I live in a different place. I'm not from here. I'm just visiting. I'm just passing through. I'm talking from the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God looks at every person, every color, every creed, whether they have something of value that we deem valuable to add or not. The least of these is worth the most of these. That's what the kingdom of God says. And today, 49.6 million people are in slavery. Just something we have to deal with. 49.6 million. You know, that's just forced labor and forced marriage. That does not count the trafficked. No one knows what the number is of the traffic. They have estimates, but no one knows. And every single day, mothers and daughters are trafficked into this nation by perverts, by, by evil people who oppress them. And did you know that America, our country, is the number one consumer of trafficked children and women? Number one. And everyone knows this is the biggest problem the world's facing. Everyone knows it. Everyone. And everyone is waiting to see who's going to do something about it. Everybody is. Who's going to fix it? Every single person is wondering. Here's what I believe. You can disagree if you want, but this is what I believe. I believe the church is God's answer. I believe the church is the greatest force for good in the entire world. That's what I believe. Everywhere I go, every problem I've ever seen across all nations, guess who's there working on it? The church. I never seen a Greenpeace person. I never saw a college professor there. I never saw an activist there. I never saw an organization there. It was the church. Every time, putting their, money, putting their own money in, going, you know, I'm paying for a plane ticket. I'm going over there. I'm going to hand out food packages. People are hungry. I'm going to do something about it. It's the church everywhere you go. Greatest force for good in the world. And I do believe as the church that's here, in this nation, we're missionaries to this nation. 
It's not our home, but this is where we're at. And it's our duty. And we need to own it. We need to own it. I was reading a book, um, many of you have read, Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. And there's something in that book that I'll never forget. And it led me to to pull out this story that I want to read to you today. And it's going to challenge your heart. Just get ready. But this is tattooed on my heart. I'll never forget it. And it keeps me moving forward uh, every single day. After a speech, pro-life activist Penny Lee was approached by an old man weeping. He told her this story. I lived in Germany during Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but like most people today in this country, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? Railroad track ran behind our small church and each Sunday morning we'd hear the whistle from a distance and then the clacking of the wheels moving over the track. Became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week that train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews began to cry as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet the screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time the whistle would blow, and we decided the only way from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time the train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we'd just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. Years have passed and no one talks about it much anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. Painful story to read. Hurts my heart still. And this world can be overwhelming. The darkness can be overwhelming. The evil can be overwhelming. You you might end up saying, well, what can we do? And I promise you the answer is not nothing. It's something. We can do something. And here's what Paul said to do in Romans. He said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This assumes that we can actually overcome evil, doesn't it? That's what he said to do. And I'm so thankful that God called me and sent me to a church who does this and not the other thing. Amen. I'm so happy to be a part of a church that was built for rough seas, one that weathers the storm and fights the good fight, that overcomes evil with good. That's the kind of church conduit is. And as of this morning, I want to tell you something really beautiful 2,360 people have been set free from slavery from this church. (laughs) 2,360. I got six texts this morning of more slaves going free. It was blowing up my phone. It's so beautiful. It's my favorite text to get. 2,300. More people got free from this church than go to this church. And I got to tell you, we're just getting started. We really are. Because you said yes to what Jesus, he actually said he was here to do. And Jesus, he walked into the synagogue to preach his first ever sermon. And here's what he did. He opens the scroll. He goes to Isaiah 61. And he reads this in Luke 4. 
spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. That is the gospel. Two of the five things in that, that, God, that Jesus came to fulfill, two of the five things are about freedom. Two of the five things. Freedom not only from, uh, from slavery and oppression, but freedom from sin and freedom from death. And he came for freedom. He rolls up the scroll of Isaiah 61 midway. That's only the first part of the verse. And he stops. Everybody had anticipated what Jesus was going to say. He reads four lines and walks out. I thought about doing that this morning. I thought about just coming in and reading Isaiah 61 and just walking out. You guys would have been like, what the heck? But he closes it up. It's the first ever mic drop moment. It's the first biblical mic drop. And I believe this, church. I believe we're actually living in his provision because you know what happens next? Jesus said, it's been fulfilled in your presence. This has been fulfilled today. And I believe we're living in the provision from Jesus to free slaves, to set free the oppressed. And I believe this, I was in India, I was in the Middle East just a few weeks ago because we're not here to applaud applaud ourselves or to maintain a ministry. We are not gonna do that. We're not gonna go look at us, everybody be proud. Everything's a beginning for us. The kingdom of God is on offense. We're not on defense anymore. We're going out and we're taking ground. And I promise you that they will have to kill us to stop us. You understand? There will, nothing will get in our way. We're gonna expand. We're gonna take more, we're gonna get more people out of slavery. Why? Because it's the will of God. Because it's the call of God on our church and on our lives. That's what we're gonna do. And so I just have one question for you this morning and that's it. And it is, are you in? That's it. And if you are, I want to talk to you about what that means. And, and if you are, here is a QR code that goes right to Operation Freedom. Every single penny that you give goes directly to the mission. There's no fluff. There's nothing in the middle. We collect it. We send it to free slaves, period. So jump on there, throw a donation in. We'll use it to get slaves free. Let me pray for you and release you. God, we thank you that on this uh, Independence Day, this, this, uh, this weekend and this week where we celebrate the fact that we live in the freest country on earth. That's just the truth, God, that you've blessed this nation and I pray that you would restore it. Lord, we just repent on behalf of this soil of this nation and the things that they did with slavery and with abortion and with uh, indigenous people. God, we just repent for it because that's not the kingdom of God. That's not the kingdom of God. And Lord, we just thank you for the authority and for the grace that you've given us here in this land. And Lord, I just pray you use your church to influence it and push it back to you, back to you, because that's where we need to go is back to Jesus. Lord, set us free from whatever's plaguing. In this crowd, we've got people that are struggling. Lord, set them free. Set them free from sickness. Set them free from sin. Set them free from addiction. Set them free, Lord. We just celebrate your freedom, Jesus. Keep everyone safe this week. In Jesus' name, amen.